What a good word this morning. Lord, may we remember your wisdom and your grace. And I love what Philip said about perspective. You know, as we turn back to Nehemiah chapter 8 today, as we continue going through the book of Nehemiah, we began in chapter 8 last week at uh, finding blessings in the midst of our burden. And burden is not always synonymous with negativity. We, we hear burden and it automatically becomes something that we think is, is so heavy and, and just so hard to bear. And I shared with you the first of the year as we began this study where God laid this word on my heart and that it was time to begin Nehemiah last November riding to uh, Fayetteville, Georgia for the Georgia Baptist Convention, uh, going through Macon. I was listening uh, to the greatest apologist living, uh, and he was speaking on burden. And he was saying those things, and it was a word that is so overlooked because uh, it brings with it a negative connotation. But the Bible is full of the fact that as believers, we are to carry our burden. And the man preaching that sermon I listened to that night laid his burden down this past week. Robbie Zacharias is now in the presence of our Lord. This past week, one of our own brothers, our own members, Arnold McCall laid his burden down and went to be with the Lord. But all the deacons and I went not too long ago to his home and prayed with him. And he encouraged us in the midst of suffering and heartache. Remember one of the last times he tried to come to church as uh, they said, we couldn't come today. Uh, we wanted to. We got up, we got dressed, and he got to the door and just couldn't come. And I thought, isn't that like it is so many times you see, his perspective of burden was, I get to, not I got to. He got up, got ready, and couldn't make it. And those who can, don't. And I don't mean that for all, anyone that's watching online. I do not mean that against those who cannot come because of age or underlying conditions right now. That's not what I mean. But what I do mean is for those of us who have the opportunity to serve the Lord daily, you see, quarantines and pandemics are nothing new to the human race. And it's not always a pandemic of health issues. Here, we know that the children of Israel had been going through their own quarantine. For 70 years, quarantined from their homes, from their land, from everything that they were accustomed to. Can you imagine that? You know, it's, it's been trying on all of us. It's been trying on teachers who do not have their students. It's try, trying on parents who have their students. I wasn't planning on it. I saw a thing released this weekend on asking prayer for pastors. And many of you saw that on social media, all the little circles of the things we've heard. And I can promise you I've heard them all. That starting back We've started too early, or not starting back, we're cowards. That it's too early, it's too late, it's always something. 
And you see Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, these three giants of the faith heard all the things. Oh, we can't do it. He heard it from Sanballat and Tobiah. If you build it, we'll tear it down. Matter of fact, we won't even have to tear it down. Though a little bitty fox runs on it, it will fall down. Because y'all don't know what you're doing. And your God is not the God you say he is. But today, in chapter 8, think about it. They wake up. I don't know about you, but it was so refreshing to see your face today. And many of you last week. And I can speak for the family of Annette and others. Melly came to me afterwards and he said, this is the largest funeral we've had in the midst of this pandemic because brothers and sisters in Christ cared and spread out and we did it right. But you see, there was a morning where all the enemy attacks and all that was quietened for a moment. And it was like that morning last Sunday when you got up and you thought, I don't got to go to church, I get to go. Or today, or for those watching next week or next month, whenever it is, Ezra and Nehemiah got up on this one day and they looked around and they're like, well, there's the walls and there's the temple. And I've got to pinch myself. I'm in Jerusalem. I'm in the city of God. There's the city of David. There's the wall built around it. And great joy broke out as Ezra was charged to stand as the scribe. And he had the people stand. And for a quarter of the day, he would read from God's Word. And then for a quarter of the day, they would pray. But as he began to read the law, the weight of the law, the burden of the law came crushing down upon the people so that they began to weep and they began to be broken in the weight of their sin and all that they had done to cause the exile, to cause the walls to come tumbling down, not the Jericho walls, but the walls of Jerusalem, to cause God to allow the temple to be ravaged and all the things to be stolen. Their lives had been wrecked because of sin. And yet here, as they stood weeping with bitter tears, it said in verse 9 that Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Now get this. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. Now hear this. Ezra got it. Nehemiah got it. And when you and I get it, 
We will be set free from the ravages of sin. We will be set free because of our perspective on who God is and who we're not. They got it. Their perspective was clear. And they said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, they had been carrying the weight of trying, trying to do it. Some of you here today, me included, are, there are days where we try to match up. We try with our best. I've heard it a thousand times. Oh, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. Can I tell you, you can't turn over a new leaf. You can't be good enough. You can't fix yourself. But the great news is God can. The joy of the Lord, he said, is your strength. It's in him and in him alone. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, hold your peace for the day is holy. Neither be grieved. That's big, isn't it? Do y'all enjoy grieving? Grieving is the most heart-wrenching, flesh-weakening, mind-altering emotion and issue that we face in life. Grief can overwhelm us. We see it throughout Scripture. Listen, Hannah was overwhelmed with grief of not having a child. We see others that wept and mourned Lazarus' sisters that were overwhelmed with grief. And yet Jesus showed up. God showed up. And what happened? The Spirit spoke into them, be not grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth. Because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Let me ask you, how do we face the uncertainty of the future? You know, people's talking about 18 months from now, six months from now, this and nothing's going to be the same. And that old saying, the new normal. I want to remind you, things do change. But we have what we tolerate. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Let us not be anyone's sheep but the Lord's. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Faith over fear. Respect and wisdom. But let us walk in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And understand how are we going to face the uncertainty of the future? Will we face it wringing our hands and staying up and losing sleep? Will we dread every moment of every day afraid of what may happen? I can assure you that Nate Saint and Watchman Nee and Baltasar Hubmeyer and Felix Manns and Lottie Moon and so many other countless Thousands and millions of believers who have laid their life on the line did not get up with a grief of burden, but got up and said, this may be the day the Lord calls me home. I will serve him. As we sang last week and read from God's word, this is the day the Lord has made. 
Tomorrow, we must say, this is the day the Lord has made. Next Friday and next month, and when our youth go to camp, and whatever may happen, we must cry, this is the day. So how do we find joy in the face of failure? Many of us, as we look back, it taints our look toward the future because we say, you don't know what I've done, preacher. And I remind people, I wasn't born a preacher. And even being a preacher does not make me perfect. Every day I must come before the throne of God and cry out in boldness, Lord, have mercy on me. Though a saint, one who sins and fails the grace of God. I want you to understand with me today, and I hope, I pray that you go out of here stepping a little higher than when you came in. Joy, real joy, depends solely on faith in God. I thought about a song I used to sing in the choir in the last two churches. That said, maybe you can tell it by the smile on my face. I've got joy. It's a joy that comes from heaven that the world cannot erase. I've got joy. When I rise in the morning, see the, uh, the day God has made, sunshine or storming, you'll still hear me say, I've got joy. I've got joy. Psalm 35, we quote at funerals, but he's talking about the afflictions of life. He said, weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I've not had lunch yet, and I was taught that it wasn't afternoon till you've had lunch, so it's still morning. Joy this morning. Joy in the Lord, not joy in just coming together as we stated last week. We're not joyous just because we get to see each other and come into a building. We're joyous because we're together, unified in corporate worship of the one true God. Amen? Some of you forgot how to say that. Let's practice that. Amen? All right. Nehemiah and Esther understood. They stated, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. We must realize it's His strength, not ours. And you've never felt tired until you felt soul, emotional, mental, physical exhaustion from trying to have joy in your own strength. To try to put on a facade to try to be tough for others. Listen, the truest sense of joy is when you let go and let God. When you realize the fullness of what Paul had to understand when Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. We must realize it's his strength, not ours. Real joy is more than a temporary emotion. That's happiness. And happiness comes and goes. It wanes like the stock market. You get something new at Christmas and you're happy. January 1st, you already broke it. And you're not happy anymore. And if it doesn't break by about March, you done forgot about it. And for little kids, we're so happy as parents. We, we don't learn anything because we did it ourselves. And we buy these extravagant toys. We're just thinking, that's what I want. So we buy it for them thinking they'll be happy. 
and we get it. They take it and they can't wait. They take it out and as soon as they done it, they just see another page. Oh, I get to unwrap something else. And they love the surprise in the box it came in more than what it was there. Am I right? We could get our kids when they're small, honestly, before they are indoctrinated with commercials, we could get them rocks and a box for them to go in and throw in some empty, glad Tupperware ceiling packages and they'd be absolutely slammed, thrilled to death. They would play with that stuff till they wore it out. Here's the thing. We get into things thinking that's where joy comes from. That, that's just a temporary emotion. I, I want to look at three things. Joy, number one, is rooted in salvation. Number two, joy is not the absence of burden. It just fuels it. Number three, joy is based upon obedience, not success. So let's look at the first one. Joy is rooted in salvation. The writer of Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, looking, perspective, it's all about perspective, looking unto Jesus, the author that which wrote it, it did not exist until it was wrote, the author and the what? The one who put the period, exclamation point, parenthetical reference to himself, his quote, the author and finisher of our faith, looking unto him. Who for the joy, for the what? The joy did what? He was set before him, he, for that which was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. When he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, you got to read that verse right there to fully understand it. He went to the cross so you don't have to. He fulfilled the law because you can't. Be set free to enjoy who you are in Christ today. Set free in the joy that is his salvation. See, first of all, it's repentance. What did they do? They wept and they mourned because they reflected back. But we see that it was true. It was real. He said, it's time for your weeping and your grieving to be over. It's time to rejoice together. You see, there's a place for repentance, church. Last week, this week, and I don't know when, we will have an invitation to come here. But we will have an invitation to be obedient to God every time. I preach the gospel, I'm going to draw the net. God had charged me to that. But you don't have to wait to the end. Right now, if there's something, God is just hammering on you. The Spirit, thank the Lord. Is telling you there's something in your life that needs repentance. You need to come before God and be obedient. You need to come and say, God, I failed you. God, I failed you. Failed you on the job this week. I failed you before my parents. God, I failed in a business dealing. Whatever it is, God, I have failed you. I've not been obedient. Lord, I repent. I acknowledge my sin and ask you to forgive me that I may turn and walk away. You see, that's the powerful words of the psalmist. David was called what? A man after what? A man after God's own heart. That's, that's big shoes to fill, would you not agree? Do you know that the star that's on the 
Jewish flag, the nation of Israel, is a D, it, and it's inver it is the star of David. It represents him. Now, who was the first king of Israel? Saul. But why isn't it Saul's S on the, on the flag? Because they see David as their king. We see it throughout Scripture. O King David. We see the son of David in Christ. Not the son of Saul, but the son of David. Now listen to what the, this man after God's own heart had to cry. Because this great warrior, this David who defeated a giant named Goliath, this, this great Great shepherd who killed a bear and killed a lion with his bare hands to protect his flock. Got the wrong perspective. In the wrong place at the wrong time and did the wrong thing. And he cast his eyes in lust, committed adultery, and committed murder by having her husband killed. He cries out in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness. This is called the penitential psalm. Though there are others, this is the one that literally says his soul was in prison. He said, According unto the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Does your repentant prayer sound anything like this? Are we sorry we got caught? That's remorse, not repentance. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speak. And be clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. I don't know about you, but sometimes the thing that is not enjoyable is the thing that will make you better. I don't enjoy thunder and lightning, but I sure am glad to get it if I'm that sick. I'm not one of these guys that put it up. No, load it up, double barrel, give it to me if it's going to make me feel better and feel better quick. I am more concerned with being sick longer than I am about a little short temporary prick of the needle. I want, it, I want some joy in my life. I want some gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, O God, and blot out my, all my iniquity. Now listen to what he says. Create in me a clean heart. That's the repentance. That's turning away from it and turning back to God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now listen to this last verse, verse 12. Restore unto me, not salvation, but the joy of it. 
There are those of us who are born again. We've been saved for dozens of years, but it's been a long strength. The strength of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength, and our strength is Him. It's what He does. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Listen, it's repentance, it's forgiveness, it's redemption. Romans 8, 1. For therefore now there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you saved? Not I think so, I hope so, not I, I don't know, I won't and I'll so-and-so and sign the card. No, I'm talking about you know that you know that you fell before the face of God, that God in His Spirit drew you, convicted you, you repented and cried out, Oh, dear God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins and save me. If you have, and you're not experiencing joy, then there's unrepentant sin in your life because he said there is no, right now there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He tells us in Hebrews 4 that we can come to the throne of God boldly that we may obtain grace and mercy to help in time of need. Joy, real joy is rooted in the Lord's salvation. But then joy is not the absence of burden. It fuels it. The, the, bur the, the burden fuels our joy that we're able to serve God, that we're able to do what the Lord wants, even through our circumstances. What does that look like? James 1, 2. Count it all joy when you face diverse temptations. When the trials and temptation come your way, you're prayed up, you're read up, you're walking with the Lord, your eyes are on the prize, His Word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. As David prayed in his psalm that God would write it upon the uh, eyelids and on upon the heart so that whether you're awake or asleep, you see Him and you see His Word and you're ready. And through the circumstances of life, I want you to understand, these cats had experienced some life now. They have went on a journey from Persia. And I don't know if you saw this or not, but just this past week, ISIS or whoever it was went in and vandalized, and I don't know how bad they tore up the home of, and, and, and the place they believe where Esther and Mordecai lived in Persia. Tore it up. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter if they raise it, slam to the ground. It does not remove what God did through Esther and through Mordecai. Doesn't remove it. Matter of fact, you know, there's not a lot said about God in that book. But God was real. And God used Mordecai. And God used Esther. And we see God all through it. And it was through their circumstances. They looked like it was utterly over, didn't it? Looked hopeless. Read it again. Read Esther again. It looks absolutely ho hopeless. It looks like a holocaust is about to happen. They're going to extinguish the Jewish people in the land. 
And Mordecai, because of his morality and who he was, had protected the king that would ultimately be tricked into making this decree. But when they found out, see, God's in control when you think he's not. The king finds out. And the, the noose that was created for Mordecai held the neck of the one who had it built. Can I just tell you something? Now, this is deep theological language, so I want you to, you may want to write this down. God is a bad dude, and God don't play. When God wants it his way, it's going to be his way. God will win every time. Every time, every time, COVID-19 does not scare God. SARS does not scare God. Ebola did not scare God. The Spanish flu did not scare God. The Holocaust did not scare God. World War I, World War II, the Dark Ages, the, the Crusades, nothing, nothing scares or surprises God. There's a lot of a lot of ideas being floated around and all the prophet preachers are loving it because, and I'm talking about those guys that they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good that they've studied what the hangnail on the little toe on the left foot of the idol in Daniel means. It's all about numerology and sim symbolisms and all this stuff. Here's, here's my take as your pastor. Has any of this got to do with end times? Absolutely. Because it doesn't take great logic to know today we're one day closer than we was yesterday. Y'all with me on that? Does it have a very central part in it? Well, yeah, some way, some up. But can I tell you that I can find COVID-19 in the Bible? No. But neither can I find America either. It's just not there. But what I can find is when it's all said and done, Jesus is on his throne and that's who we serve. Through our circumstances, we can find joy. Over personal attacks. In Acts 5.42, listen, look, look, just remember you think we're having it rough right now? Now, I thank God. And I was sharing with someone a while ago. And I don't want to make anybody mad, but what I'm about to say is factual, and if you don't like it, tough. Our president said this week that churches are essential. I've never heard a, a president say that. Ever. I never heard Reagan say that. And I love Reagan. I got a signed picture of Reagan hanging in my office. But he never said that. President Trump said churches are essential and they provide essential services. Now, you're church people. You work with youth. You work with children. You work with babies. You work with adults. Wouldn't you agree with that? No true words ever spoke from the White House. The church of the living God is essential. Man, I don't know about you, but that just makes me happy. But you see, 
The church is always under attack. They have blasted him for it. Someone was telling me that someone at Walmart had a mask that said faith over fear, and they tried to get them to make them take it off. They said, I ain't taking it off. There are people who have lost their jobs for their faith through this, for their stance. I know pastors who have or are on the verge of losing their jobs because they closed the church for their church's health. I know others that the church is going the other way and don't ever want to start back. Right, listen, it's all over the place. But it shouldn't surprise us. Look in Acts 5 at the very beginning of the church age. They were being beat upon. They were being ridiculed. Man, they were being attacked every possible way. They were called in these great men of God, Peter and others, and charged, keep your mouth shut, don't say anything, don't do anything, and they went and did it anyway, and they were beaten for it. And when they had beaten them and commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go, they departed from the presence of the council, doing what? Mourning and licking their wounds? No, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple. And how much? Daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Joy is not the absence of burden. It fuels it. Our circumstances fuels our burden. God, we, we call it divine appointments. God places us where we need to be so that we may exercise God's will over personal attacks. Listen to me. Make no mistake about it. When you serve, when you worship and serve the one true God, there will always be enemies at the gate. Y'all hear me? You will never be able to take a breath this side of glory that there's not an enemy at the gate. He may not be in the gate, but he's standing at the gate. He may be lobbing RPGs over the wall. He may be randomly throwing hand grenades into your path. He may be coming after your family and after your church and after your friends. Make no mistake, there will always be enemies at the gate. But do not lose heart. There is joy in the Lord. John 15, our, the words of our own Lord Jesus Christ said in verse 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye... In my love. And I don't know about you, but I like hearing Jesus say, He loves me. It would do us well to stop thinking of it as a children's song and think about it as a believer's song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Listen, the preacher's telling you so because the Word does. He said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now listen to this. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy, the Lord's joy, might remain in you. And that your joy 
Well, that it may be full. What does your joy meter look like? Friday, as I drove to the funeral home, went and got in the truck, and that light was blaring at me. Now, any other place, I'd have just increased my faith. I'd have prayed my way through. I said, nope, kids are gone. Went in, as big as where's Emily's keys. Went in and got her keys, and I drove it. That was not the time to exercise my faith over an empty gas tank. It was slam. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? There's empty and there's slam empty. Slam empty means that light's been, I mean, it's at the point it's making sounds at you now, you know. My day, I know, I try to be better about it. I promise you, I'm a lot better than I used to. I haven't run out of gas since the week I moved here. Doing good. Made it eight and a half years. Daddy believes if it's a quarter tank, it's empty. See, all y'all old people think it. <laughs> I'm learning to think that way. I don't want to run out of gas. But the problem is, what about your joy tank? What about that? You can't go in life. You will come to a screeching halt when your tank says empty and you won't do anything about it because you're not resting in the peace, the comfort, the strength, the joy, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what other people may say or do, always remember, Jesus loves you. And then joy is based upon obedience, not success. It's based on humble obedience. You see, they were humble. They came, they humbled themselves in weeping and mourning, put, placing themselves under the authority of the man of God and the reading of God's word. Proverbs 17.1 says, Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. You can stack them up. The blessings of this earth can be running out your ears. You can have the biggest houses and the finest cars and trucks and be miserable. He said better is a dry morsel. Not a big fancy lobster dinner with a side of filet mignon, no, a dry morsel. With a quiet spirit, a quiet mind, a quiet heart, than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Humble. We must humble ourselves and be obedient. Jesus was obedient even unto the cross. He did what the Father said. And he carried that burden. It's focused obedience. To me, and we talked about Saul a while ago. Saul was sent out to battle. And Saul was given very clear instructions. Today is Memorial Day. Today is not Veterans Day. We, we confuse these. I want to make a clear delineation. I love all my veterans. But tomorrow is not, that's in November. It is said on November 11th because of the armistice because of the end of World War I at the 11th hour on the 11th day of the 11th month when it was signed, that became Veterans Day. 
Tomorrow is Memorial Day when we remember those who paid the ultimate price. If you've ever stood at the foot of the Iwo Jima Memorial there at 8th and I at the Marine Par uh, 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 Parade Grounds just around the corner from Arlington National Cemetery and stand there as the sun began to set and the, the band had finished playing. All of a sudden I hear this sound of this lonesome bugler and I turn around and one is facing east and one is facing west, standing on that memorial and playing taps as it symbolized that great battle at that island of Iwo Jima. There at Mount Siribachi, that great picture of the flag raising where thousands upon thousands of Marines gave their life in that lava-rich sand to fight the Japanese for freedom in the world. Let's not forget, we weren't just fighting for the freedom of Great Britain there. Remember why we declared war? Because Japan had attacked us on our territory. And as they blew, I couldn't help but look and tears. You can't help if you're American. Tears coming up in my eyes, and I looked, and I remember, and I looked at the side of that thing. There were that flag waving, those buglers blowing taps. And I read those famous words. That uncommon valor was a common virtue because they were willing. Do you know most Medal of Honor winners in one battle came at Iwo Jima, and it came posthumously to Marines who dove on Japanese grenades to protect their fellow soldiers. But I want you to understand they could only save them for a period of time. But Jesus died that men may go free forever. But you see, in all that sacrifice, that that great soldier that stood head and tall above others went to battle. And God said, go kill them all. Don't leave any to come back after you. But he didn't, did he? He was disobedient. And he brought back the best animals and he brought back the king. Do you know why he brought back the king? Because his ego. He wanted to brag. Look what I not what God. Look what I have done. And when he was caught red-handed, the prophet Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings as sacrifices? Oh, but I give a lot of money to the church. Oh, I always pay to help kids go on, on camp, and I help with mission, and I paid hundreds and thousands of dollars for cakes and for spaghetti dinners. It does not matter if you don't know the Lord. If you're not being obedient, he said, does God delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? God's not near as interested as what he does through you as what he does in you. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. It must be a focused obedience. But then... It must be a faithful obedience. 
You see that famous parable of the master, the servants, and the talents? You know the story. He gave some this amount, this amount, this amount, and the first two went and invested it and brought back something, but the last was afraid. He went and he hid it. I want you to understand, in faithful obedience, what matters most, what matters more than anything else in this world, is not what kind of degrees we get and how many times our name and picture is posted in the newspaper. What matters most is to hear our Savior say, Well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. When life overwhelms you and your burden seems too heavy to bear, Remember the words of Jesus in Luke 6. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil. For the Son of Man's sake, rejoice you in that day, you mean when people's giving me a hard time? Hey, he said rejoice. He said leap for joy. It wouldn't hurt some of us to have a little spiritual exercise about us. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is not here. Your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did the fa their fathers unto the prophets. They did it to Elijah. They did it to Samuel. They did it to Isaiah. They did it to John the Baptist. And they'll do it to you. But lo don't lose hope. Leap for joy. Ezra and Nehemiah had it right. They got it. And they charged the people with it. Listen to me. Real joy depends on the Lord. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Today, right now, in the quietness of this moment, before we're dismissed, if you would, I want you to bow with me. And I want us, in, in this quietness, I want our spirits to be quiet. And I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear what is God saying to you right now. Is your joy what it needs to be? And if not, what is it that's holding it up? Repentance, forgiveness, redemption. He has redeemed you. He will redeem you. If you're lost, you're worthless to yourself, to the world, and to the Lord. But Jesus paid it all so that you would be worthwhile. Will you cry out in repentance? Accept his forgiveness and be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Right now, you're a believer. You have no doubt in your mind. I'm going to heaven. But your joy has been tarnished by the things of the flesh. And it's time we read many, many scriptures of circumstances, trials, tribulations, personal attack, all kinds of things. But today, you need to pray, Father, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. This is no joke. People are depressed and despondent. And it's not just lost people. It's saved people because they've lost their joy. Today, right now, will you pray with me? And pray, God, 
Be real in my life. Be real in my brother's and sister's life. Lord, may I leave this place filled with strength that is the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, it's because of you we have hope. It's because of you we find comfort. It's because of you we can have salvation. And it is in that salvation that we find joy. Lord, you know every heart in this place. You know every heart that's watching. Or we'll watch this afternoon or tomorrow. And you know what they need. And I pray, Father, through the preaching of your word, that your word would convict their hearts. Convince them that they're living shallow, poverty-stricken spiritual lives where joy can be attained and be abundant if they would just simply trust you. That it's not bad to have a burden. It's great because you fuel it through the experiences of life, and that's where the joy comes from. That we may state with other martyrs throughout the ages, here I stand, I can do no other. Lord, may we have that holy boldness. And may, may we find the joy that is yours. May we never forget that you love us. You love us. May we love you. Father, go with us this week. May we encourage others in this joy. May they see it by the smile on our face. May they hear it in the sound of our words. May they experience it by our lifestyle. May your joy be evident as we carry our burden. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.